Well, as you can see, we're, I'm, I'm recording in a little different place. This is what we call our Bible Hall here at Riverbend. If you're um, a member here and attend here regularly, you know this is right behind the worship center. If, you're, if you have not been here, this is a place where, through the years, Riverbend has been able to collect um, old pages from very old Bibles. And, and uh, they're put in a frame and given a story behind them. Uh, these are not there because we worship them in any way. They're not relics. Uh, it's, it's just an expression of how much we love the Word of God. And through the years, um, uh, people have donated uh, these items or paid for them, and, and they're on display here. And so we really love the Bible Hall. We also have some of our reformers that we enjoy down here. There's a plaque there with John Huss and his picture on it, a famous reformer who was burned to death because he would not recant that Christ alone was the only way to the Father. And, and then, of course, Calvin and Luther and so many others there as well. So if you ever uh, are here, we encourage you to come down the hall, look at these things, to, uh, teach your children of the preciousness. I thought I'd tell you just some of the Bibles that we have portions of them there. There's one called the Bishop's Bible. It's a mid-1500s, 1568 uh, Bible, a very old recording. There's other ones like the Matthew Tyndale. This was Tyndale's work, but later translated by Ma uh, uh, Matthew and they put their work together. Uh, that goes all the way back to 1538. Um, there's an American Revolution Bible page there, uh, 1700s, uh, 1782 to be exact. Fascinating little passage. It's kind of fun to try to read that old English. I would encourage you to do that. One of my favorites that's down the hall is the Cherokee Indian Bible. This goes all the way back to 1856 when the nation quit fighting the Indians so much and started trying to evangelize them. And, uh, and what a great work that was, that somebody did so much work to first understand that language and then translate it. There's medieval Bibles, the Geneva Bible, mid-1500s, and then you have Bibles like the Gutenberg Bible. That's going to go back into the 1400s. Um, men and women died to have a copy of that. They, they gave their life. If they were found with a copy of that Gutenberg Bible, they, would, they were dead. So these are precious, and again, we don't worship them, but they're reminders to us of, of the Word of God and, and all that took place for us to be able to have Bibles. I know you and me probably have several in our homes uh, that we can pick up any time, but many of these people never got to have their own Bible, and so we hang them on the wall to remember that God's Word is everlasting. It's, it's been through fires and revolts and... Uh, and kingdoms fighting against God, uh, God's word has prevailed. So if you have a chance, we'd love for you to look down that hall someday. Well, tonight we're going to look at five things uh, to help us not waste our life in contentment. And I'll explain that here, but let's pray first. Father, thank you for our time on Wednesday night together. We, we value this time as a church, as a time normally where our youth are gathered, our students' ministry, um, our children are down the hall uh, being trained, and, and then the church is gathered after we've had a meal together. Uh, there's so many wonderful things we really miss about our Wednesday. But the most important thing we do is we worship you and open our Bibles. And that's what we're going to do tonight. And we've sang some songs led by Hayward and Andrew. We thank you for those men. And now we're going to look into your word and find encouragement there and, and, and be strengthened to go through this time of confinement, Lord. So bless our teaching tonight. May your word uh, go forth uh, unveiled, and, and may it hit our hearts, Lord, and encourage them greatly. We 
I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight I want to preach to you about don't waste your confinement. Uh, you probably could see where I lovingly stole that title. John Piper, a number of years back, wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. Uh, I love the opening of that book. The whole book was excellent. We did community group studies out of that book. Uh, we, it was a great book when it came out. But John opens up with this uh, illustration of people that have been years of train, training been poured into for years into a couple into this church. And then when they finally got financially successful, they got towards retirement, they bought a Winnebago and they left. <laughs> and uh, John wrote that book to remind people that the church is constantly discipling, constantly pouring truth into them so that they would not waste their life on things that do not have any credit towards eternity, do not bring glory to the Lord. And so he was reminding throughout that book that you are to take your life and use it for the glory of the Lord. From, from womb to tomb, in, in a sense, from the time you come to know the Lord, particularly, until you die. And, and so I kind of stole that title a little bit. I appreciate Piper so much. Um, and so, I, so I entitled this, Don't Waste Your Confinement. And I want to look at five areas that I'm going to challenge you tonight to think about uh, this time when we are a little more confined. We're, we're, we're having a little bit of a new way of life now. We're not as free as we would like to be, um, there's more time at home, we're around our family more, uh, in some cases there's less money, uh, some have lost their jobs or are laid off or what might be happening, there's, there's new stress in life, uh, if you've gone through treatments of some sort or you're in certain age categories, you, you, you know, you're called high risk, and so that, that certainly brings a little bit of uh, trying and testing time. There's, but there's new conversations that can be had now. Uh, we are hearing of our members in some of the gospel conversations they're having with people from the stores to their neighbors, uh, to family members, Zooming with each other, talking about what God is doing in their lives. So I wrote this little sermon just to help us in this time to remember some areas that we don't want to waste this time. Yes, there's family time and all of that, but God, God is always working. Despite what we understand, why he did this and how he did it, we, we don't understand all those things, but yet he ordained this, and he's allowed us to be home a little more. And so what are we going to do with that time? What are we going to do with this season in our life for no matter how long it goes on, what will we do with it? Will God ask us someday, what did you do when I stopped the world for a few weeks and months? What did you do with that time? Did you know me better? So let me give you five thoughts today. You can, I think these will be on the screen as I go and write them down. A lot of great verses, verses you know, but I want to look at them a little closer tonight uh, to remind you. Number one, don't waste your Bible during confinement. Don't waste your Bible during confinement. I trust many of you have personal Bible time, um, and I hope you're still having those. Uh, that's my personal time in the morning, awake and head for my chair and grab my Bible and begin to read. I've spent many, many years reading through the Bible. In fact, someone asked me the other day, they said, well, where'd you get your Bible knowledge? Was it seminary and those things? And yes, yeah, certainly that was a great impact and years of studying. But a lot of my Bible knowledge comes from just reading my Bible. Uh, reading through the Bible year after year. And so it's Gina and I's habit to get up early and we head for our selected spots on the couch and chairs and we read. And, and this t that's not changed, that's our routine, but we are spending more time in the Word because we're 
uh, times home a little more. So I want you to think about a couple verses. We know 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, but I want you to think about this verse. Um, we do not want to waste our time with not being in the word and realize how great a passage, how great of truth God has given us in the Bible. Think about this passage. The Bible says all scripture is inspired by God. The word inspired is the word, many of you know this, is the word to breathe. So in, in, in a sense, the Bible is saying God breathes, he spoke his word, he, he used energy and strength. And, and think about this just a little bit without going too far here. When we read the word of God, it is as though he is breathing on us in a sense. His truth, we, we're hearing him. When we talk, even now as I talk, I'm breathing. My heart rate is moving because I'm talking to you. God spoke and it was inspired and every word was breathed. And, and think about that. When you and I have a little extra time and we're able to sit there and spend time with the God-breathed, inspired word of God, what a blessing that is. Most people will look at the word of God and say, oh, it's just full of old stories and bad stuff and we don't understand it. Oh, not the believer. <laughs> not the believer. We know that God spoke that to us. We're dealing with his very words. And that's precious to us. And in fact, the Bible says not only is it precious, it's profitable. You know that word. It's profitable to teach us. And so in this time, are you, are you letting, are we letting God's word teach us uniquely about whatever situation we're going on? Do you let it speak? Do you let it teach you? Is it also reproving you? We'll talk about that just in a little bit more. But the word of God, if you study it on a regular basis, you can't help but bend your knee to God. Because at times, the word of God is going to expose error in your life. That's where idea to be reproved. Um, it means to expose things that are not pleasing to him. And that's good, right? I, I think all of us that have been blood-bought know that Jesus Christ laid his life down. We want to know where those areas of sin are. And so the word of God will do that for you. Are you spending time? Correction. Correction is the idea that we've gotten off the path that God set us on. We, we make a course correction here. It's the idea of getting back, going the direction where God wants us. As parents, we've corrected our children. Why? Because they were going down the wrong direction. Uh, and so we want to correct them. The word of God does that. It corrects you. But if it's um, maybe you get an Instagram verse or something, which I'm not against, but, but you're not spending time studying the context of that, understanding the truth and depth of the word, oh, you may never make some corrections. And you may end up way off the path that you believe God wanted you on. It's for training in righteousness. I love that phrase. Um, uh, training wheels helped your kids to help, right? Helped you go, help them go the right direction versus falling down. Well, it trains us to do what's according, right according to God. That's what righteousness means. It's not some spiritual hierarchy word. It means God trains us to do what's right according to what he says. You'll, you'll never know what God wants if you don't study the word of God. So many people are making decisions based on their own views and how they feel and and that can get us into all kinds of trouble. We all struggle with presuppositions, things that we think God is like or we think the word is like. And yet we never proof that from the word of God or we don't let the word of God correct us and train us in what is right. It's so important that you study the word of God and you say, God, correct me, proof me, train me. It's your word, it's your power, it's your breath. 
your voice. Let it change my life. And then the Bible says, so that the man of God, or you know, for anybody, the, the believer in God here, may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Wouldn't you like to be ready for everything that comes your way? That's kind of hard to say in a world like ours, right? And you say, well, how, we weren't, how could we be ready for this virus? Well, I don't think you could be ready physically for it, but you could be ready spiritually for these things. And I think a lot of Christians were, and they, they have a good world, biblical worldview of what's happening because they knew their Bibles. And when this thing hit, they came and they said, wow, this is, this is what God is doing. We don't know why. Interesting, today, Cuomo, uh, Cuomo, I think the governor of New York, came out and said, uh, as the numbers are going down, he said this, and it really scares me. These are his words. He said, God didn't do this. Um, fate didn't do this. We did this. Ooh. <laughs> uh, Mr. Governor, I'd be very, very careful. God has control of all things. And we understand that because the Bible says that. There was another man in the Bible that did something very similar to that. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. He stood on the wall of Babylon and started to tout how great he was. And with hours, he was eating grass. That's, that's not trusting God. But we who have a biblical perspective of what's going on in the world, we are trained. We're, we're adapting to what God's doing because we know the Bible. Some other passages that just really teach us great truths. First Peter excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2, 2 and 3. Like newborn babes who long for the pure milk of the word. Well, that's a sweet, sweet picture there, isn't it? Newborn, loving mom's milk, loving to be fed. I mean, uh, if you've ever fed anything that's a newborn, uh, um, human or, or animal, they really love in that milk and they survive on it. That's the idea. Can you see that? I love God's word. I'm drinking it in. I want to know. I want to feast on it. I want bone and, and sinew and, and muscle mass and all of that, spiritually speaking, to grow because I know God's word. But then it adds this in verse 3, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So one of the things that why we don't want to waste uh, this, this time in confinement because it actually shows us what's very valuable to us. If you've not been reading your Bible and studying and, and, and coming on and listening to sermons and participating on that, it might, God might be showing you that you haven't tasted the kindness of God. You're not interested in, in what he's doing. That's, that's the spirit of God. He loves the things of God. He loves the word of God. Have you tasted it? And has it been sweet and nourishing to you? Isaiah 40 said this, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God shall stand forever. And, and they're looking for just maybe at a Pentateuch in some of the history books by the time Asia, uh, Isaiah writes that. They're holding on to that. And God is speaking to them, and they know the power of God's word. He is speaking to us. That's what Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy. This is God's spoken word. This is his word. And we should live by it. I think probably one of the biggest challenges for us is to learn to rightly divide it. In a day of Christianity where um, true expositional preaching is getting rarer and, and people throw verses around here and there. Paul just warns Timothy. He told him to be diligent. I mean, work hard. Work hard to present yourself approved as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. Well, how do you do that? How do I, how do I prove myself to God that I'm a, I'm a hard worker for him? I'm, I'm dedicated to him. 
Well, he goes on to say, accurately handle the word of God. That literally means cut it straight. Whatever it says, believe it, cut it straight. Put out your presuppositions and let the word of God teach you what it says. So Paul's warning Timothy, it was probably already happening in the first century. People were misusing God's word to bring about their own will. I want to do this and I want to do that. And so I take this passage and bend it the way I want so I can get what I want. Oh, Paul warned Timothy. This is how you'll know you're a good student of God. You really want to know him. You rightly divide it. So as you do your devotions, and maybe you are just reading a smaller passage of scripture and maybe you're not reading through the Bible all the way yet, but you're reading a small passage of scripture. Do your work. Find out what that passage is about. Who was it written to? What, what's the main theme of that letter or that book? What's, what's God doing? How is, that, how is that verse or those set of verses exposing him and who he is to us even greater? How does it exalt the Lord Jesus Christ? Ask yourself those questions. Find the context of that. What's going on? Is there sin in the, in the church? Is there an issue that they're trying? And then rightly apply that passage to your life. There's always, application's the most easiest thing we do. We can apply. We always like to apply it to somebody else. But applying it to our life, that will happen very easily when we know what it really means. Work hard to do that. You can do that. There's tons of helps out there as well. And we as pastors love to help you in any way. I don't have time to go there, but I want you to write this verse, these verses down. Uh, Psalms 19, 7 through 14. Um, what a beautiful psalm of David. And, and again, he's speaking of the word of God, both written and God's word has, was spoken. He, you know, he had interacted with God. And so, um, but the first part of that is talking about general revelation, um, that God, his voice is heard, he is seen, he reveals himself through creation day into day, night into night, he pours forth his speech, meaning anywhere you are, any language you have, you can look out there and you can understand there is a God. But then he gets more defined. He tunes it in a little more in verse 7. There's where he starts in on that sweet references to God's word and, and that it's right and just and true. And he uses all these wonderful terms like you know, law and statutes and precepts and all those things, all talking about the word of God and how they're so sweet and, and beautiful. And then, then finally he moves to the sweetness of the word of God. He said it's like honey, uh, the dripping of the honeycomb. And, and then he talks about how it protects us and guides us. And, and then and finally he closes out and he wants God's words to be his words. Oh, spend time in that. I would really encourage you even tomorrow morning just to go into Psalms 19 and just exeget your way down through that just take that passage apart fall in love with god's word again or, or even deeper than you already love it and find the sweetness of it find the protection of it and obey it obey it before we leave this point jesus often said be doers of the word just not hearers james and john and other apostles picked up that that same phrase because there are so many people who hear remember the masses that follow the lord jesus christ uh, where'd they all go? Because a lot of people are hearers of the word of God. Are we doers? Has it penetrated our heart? So don't waste your confinement. Read your Bible. Is that central in your life as a Christian? Number two, don't waste a time to be discipled during your confinement. Don't waste a time to be discipled during confinement. God has always been discipling his people. He wants us to know him. I, I don't think I can exercise that point enough. 
the, the unknowable God has made himself knowable. He's done that through his word. He, he has revealed himself through creation. And, the, and, and there's a lot to know God through that. But he left us to know his word. Even early on to the nation of Israel. There he wanted his people to know them. If you go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, here Moses is preparing the nation. They have left Egypt they wandered around in the wilderness. They got to the edge of the promised land. The, the older generation failed to believe God's word. They were afraid of what they saw and didn't believe what he had said. And so they back to the wilderness they went for 40 years till they all died off, that older generation. And as Moses prepares this younger generation to go into the promised land, he gives great instructions. You know these verses, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 and following. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, uh, with all your soul and with all your might. These are repeated as the greatest commands by Jesus when asked by the Pharisees. This is, this is discipleship. You want to say, I need to be disciple. Well, love God. That's the start of it. If you don't love him, then it'll just be an academic exercise. You'll memorize some passages, you'll write some answers down, and you'll move on. But when you love him, you, you, as you're being discipled, you're going, wow, isn't he glorious? Isn't he amazing what he has done? And then it goes on to say, listen to this. And this kind of has some confinement terms to it. Listen to what he says here. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligent to your sons, and, and shall talk to them when you sit in your houses <laughs> and when you walk by the way. I see a lot of people out walking right now. Um, when you lie down and when you rise up. I, I don't think they were in a lot of confinement like us. There's a lot of people there. But doesn't that sound like what we're going through? When you rise up, when you lay down, when you're in your house, when you go for your walk. This is the idea. See, this is what God wants us to do. He wants him, wants him to be on our minds and on our hearts. And you need to be discipled to do that. You need to learn the Bible, know what, what he wants of us. And then finally he says, you shall bind them up as a sign on your hand and you shall put them on the front, frontals of your forehead. That's just the idea, keeping it here. <laughs> Keep it in front of you. And you shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. Many of your homes I've been in and there's scripture on the walls and uh, what a beautiful thing that is to remind you you're learning to disciple yourself in these truths. Well, discipleship didn't change even though now the Lord Jesus Christ had come and lived a life and his blood washed all the way back on the true People, the true believers of the Old Testament that believed God was going to deliver them, that blood washed back. But as Jesus is resurrected, he stands in front of his disciples on that day where the great, what we call the Great Commissioning came out. And he said in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, he said, go, therefore, get going. I, you're supposed to be going now as I'm talking and make disciples of all the nations. Making disciples. Showing people Jesus Christ, teaching others, being discipled and making disciples. That's what the church does. That's our main task. Once we're saved, that's what we do. And, and, and I would hate, I would hate to think that during this time when we've been shut down and we can't be together, that the great portion of the church of Jesus Christ has not been discipling themselves or one another. Think about that. Wouldn't that be a shame to, that we didn't grow, we didn't study, we weren't discipled any, any further? And, and he says, baptizing them. Um, 
we have a couple of people that want to be baptized, and we're trying to figure out how to do that and put it on live stream um, so you could see it. Because here, here's the idea of identifying people in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, identifying them in the triune God, identify them in the Godhead. That's what you do when you disciple. You're identifying them with their God, uh, particularly in the Godhead, Father, Son, and the Spirit. And then it says this, um, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. You know, that's what a discipler does. You take somebody, whether it's your children, a next-door neighbor, maybe someone in the church that is young in the faith, maybe it's someone who's just been struggling along, is you teach them to observe what God has commanded, what he has said, what, he, what he's commanded. You know, the, the command, I mean, it, it goes all the way to the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. It's given in strong imperatives. These are what we teach. And yes, there's things that believers now do from their heart to please the Lord. We live lives that are separate from the world and that philosophy. And we, we choose to please him in our marriages and our raising of our children and how we perform on the job. All of that's part of that. But that's part of discipleship. And, and look, you're never going to live for someone you don't know. You just won't. You won't live for that person. If you don't know that person and are overwhelmed with that person, you won't live for him. You won't think about him. You, you, won't, you won't cut out things in your life that shouldn't be there. Oh, uh, brothers and sisters, are you being discipled? Are you discipling someone else? I think the commands are clear here. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 3. I want to just take a peek at this passage. Discipleship was always on the Apostle Paul's mind. He wants people to know the immensity of Christ. He, they, he wants them to see this unmeasurable aspect of our God and Savior. That's his goal. And that should be our goal with ourselves and with the family members and people are around us. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father. You can see this worshipful, not only inward, but even outward. He, he bows before God. He's, there's an there's a outward uh, reaction to an inward understanding. And so he says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Whether they've already died and they're with the Lord, this isn't universalism, he's talking about believers, whether they're with the Lord or not, we, we all came from him. We were made in his image. We bear his name, his glory. And so he's speaking to the church here, verse 16. Now look at this, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power. You know, one of the things discipleship does is it strengthens you for things that are coming that you have no idea. Who, who could have wrote this script that we're now part of? But people who had grown in Christ have been able to grow through this because they were ready. They were, they were bending their knee to God that he'd grant them understanding the riches of his glory and who he is. And so when this thing comes along, you go, wow, God, this isn't fun, but, but I know you're in control of this. And you're strengthened even through these difficult times. It says strengthened with power through the, his spirit in the inner man. Now listen to verse 17. I think this is such a great verse on discipleship. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. We talked about this recently in a sermon not too long ago. He takes up residence there. This is where he lives. This is what he does. He desires to be right here in the center of our lives. He dwells in the center of our life. That's what he wants. And that comes through discipleship because other things start moving out. Things start moving out of our life and God in his word starts moving in in a greater and greater way. 
That's what he wants. Not that you're kind of saved. Let me make that clear. Once you're saved, he takes over. But you know, we know there are things in our life that can start to push his truths out. He's trying to push that out and take over the center stage here. And so he says this in verse 17, so that Christ might dwell in your heart through faith, right? That's what we live by faith alone, by Christ alone, through grace alone. That's our salvation. So we, by faith, believe in him. He even gave us that. But then he says this, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth to know the love of Christ. Now, now, being rooted is a great word. It's, um, it's a present, it's a perfect, it's actually a perfect present tense. So what it means is God did something in the past that has eternal ramification for you. So somewhere in the past, um, I know actually when it was, um, in October on a rainy night at a young age, the Lord saved me and he rooted me in Christ. But, he's, but he continues it's something that continues. It happened in the past, but it has continual ramification. He continues to root me deeper. So when, when the trials of life come, the roots go deeper. Is that happening in your life? If you're not being discipled, if you're just making it through life, well, I prayed a prayer, I walked an aisle. Oh, storms, viruses, all this stuff. The storms of life come. It is our discipleship, us knowing Christ knowing him more, knowing his word, handling his word rightly, accurately. That helps us be rooted. Notice this whole idea of grounded. It's the same thing. It's a, it's a perfect passive participle. Grounded in love. We're, we're down. We got our feet on the earth where they need to be. We're, we're spiritually grounded in the love of God. Not in the love of Scott or the love of the world or, or the love of money or, or anything else. We are grounded in our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice that's what it is because this begins this process, this beautiful thing, this lifelong pursuit of verse 18 that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints. Whoa, hold on there. Now think about that. That went from individual, from you and me individually being grounded and rooted, now going into the corporate aspect of the church. So all of us become this group of people grounded, rooted in the love of God. Because we, we've been discipled. We actually know who we love. We, we actually know the one who paid the penalty for us. And we know him in depthly. And we're not surprised or, or blown away when he brings judgments upon the earth or something happens that, that the world is just shaken at. We go, okay, God, you're at work. And we do it collectively. When our church is freaking out. We're just figuring out how to love one another and care for one another and, and grow each other. That's all we're doing during this. But we're not freaking out. We have a God who loves us and knows it. And that's, that's the aspect of individual people being discipled and reaching that next person. Maybe that person who's, who's struggling with us, who's afraid, you start to pour into their life. Look, we go through this quarantine and we have not discipled somebody through this, whether it's the people in our own home or someone over Zoom or FaceTime, did we miss an opportunity? Uh, I, I would have to say we terribly missed an opportunity to spend time with somebody, to help them grow. Friend, let me ask you, who in your life do you need to sit down with partners, with your Bible, and just go through? One of the things we've been telling people with partners, it is, it's a mag magnificent work, and, it is, and it's large. But we tell people, 20 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day. 
work on it 20 minutes a day. And then at the end of the week, meet with your friend, your partner that you're going through partners with. 20 minutes a day. I was looking through it today, and I told my wife, I said, Gina, this is amazing stuff. This is so well written. And if people will spend 20 minutes a day going through partners, oh, what they can do with their family members and how they can encourage and, and lead them and pour into their life. Not trying to do, the chapters are long. You, if you've been through it, you know. No, no, 20 minutes a day, do it five days a week, maybe six, then meet with somebody and talk about what you learned. That, see, that's discipleship. Do, oh, don't waste this confinement. Don't, don't waste this virus on, on well, I, I you know, binge watched you know, 50 programs <laughs> and I never got discipled. But would that be terrible that we didn't disciple ourselves or someone else? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, uh, 3 through 11 there. Look at that on your own. Write that down. But there is where Peter is talking about what happens as we add to our God-given faith. He starts these major building blocks in our life. And the foundation is this God-given faith. And then after he talks about our God-given faith, he adds all these beautiful things to our life. That causes us to be strong. Second Peter chapter 1, 3 through 11. I, I sick of time, I'd love to take you there. Each one of these I certainly could do a sermon on, couldn't I, as we think about this. But I want you, I want you to think about, or, or if you have your Bibles, turn to Second Peter chapter 3, because I want to get right to the end when Peter, um, he's going to die after this. This is his last inspired letter. We have nothing else that he wrote. wrote. I, I just want you to see what uh, he writes to us and challenges us before he passes away um, by death, most likely on a cross, crucified upside down. Verse 17, chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. This is how he closes out the last, the last known words of the apostle Peter. Last, certainly inspired words. He says, you, therefore. Kind of like he's talking to you. <laughs> you. When I, that's how I read the Bible. I don't read this for somebody else. You. <laughs> you. You, therefore. Beloved. Whoa, that's a great statement. Beloved by God, and beloved by the apostles, beloved by pastors. Knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by air of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. I mean, that's a great warning that he says. And, and, and why would he give that warning? Why would Peter give that? Why does he just say, hey, slap me on the back, you know, I'll see you in heaven. Yeah, no, he knows what Satan's about. He's already talked about in his first letter, Satan's a roaring lion seeking to someone to devour. He's waiting to pounce on people. And here he says, look, there's unprincipled men. There's people out there that are trying to drag people away. They're trying to turn them from Christ. They're trying to win them over. They don't want to obey the scriptures. Um, and, he, and he's warning them, them. But then he says to us individually, the verse 18, and we know this verse, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now grow. Don't, hey, if you, if you don't grow, guess what? Unprincipled men are coming. <laughs> unprincipled women, unprincipled people who don't care about the truth of the word of God are come to drag you away. That's what they do. That's what Satan does. That's what he's, that's what he's all about. And he says, grow. Get your roots down deep. Do not let the storms of life drag you away or break you apart and send you down the river. Grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Notice the combination of that. He didn't just say grow in knowledge. Well, there's a lot of academic people that, that can't figure out the longest highway in the world from their brain to their heart. 
Grace is what brings that truth to the heart. He says, grow in both knowledge. Know your God. Be discipled. Know who he is. Know what the word of God is. Handle it accurately and do it with grace. Know the grace of God. Know that what you have, you do not deserve. Oh, if we can keep that in the center of our discipleship, oh, how you will grow. Third thought, don't waste your private prayer time during confinement. Don't waste your private prayer time during confinement. I noticed this morning that Shana put up this text. It was in my notes already. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. The Bible says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, <laughs> listen to this, who passed through the heavens. Isn't that amazing? It means he, he stepped out of, uh, out of heaven. I think uh, Hayward leads us in a song that says, he, he once breathed the air of heaven. He stepped out of heaven to breathe the dust of earth. So it's talking about his incarnation. He came through the heavens. He came down through the heavens, stood on this earth so he could be our great high priest, Jesus, the son of God. Then it says, let us hold fast our confession. Well, what's your confession? It says our confession. It's personal there, isn't it? What's our confession? That Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he came to this world, that he lived a perfect and sinless life. He died a perfect death, crucified for your sins and for mine. God judged him as though he committed our sins. And he was buried, and God raised him from the dead. He beat sin, Satan, and death. And he came out of that, and God gave him everything and sat him at the right hand, waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. That's our confession. That's our confession that we make. And so when you look at this, you have this high priest came down from heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to that confession, for we do not have a high priest who does not sympathize with us, who cannot sympathize with us. He lived this life. He watched people live and die. He healed a tremendous amount of people. He saw the hardship. He was hungry. He sorrowed. He went through all of those things. And the Bible says he's there. He knows us in our weaknesses because he, he allowed those weaknesses to be put upon him. But one who has been tempted in all things, yet without sin. So he went through this massive amount of temptations. And, and I know you may try to come up with something in the 21st century and say, was Jesus tempted that? He's talking about categories. Everything. Put about all the categories of sin. Think about everything that categorically falls into the nature of temptation of sin. He experienced that. And he never failed. And then this great verse that was posted on our Instagram. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. See, boy, if we did not pray more during this confinement, wouldn't that be a shame? Wouldn't that be a shame that we didn't spend more time on our knees praying, praying together, praying individually for whatever God lays on our heart, for family members that are lost, for his grace and mercy on those who are really struggling, on people who have lost their loved ones. Can you imagine someone in this COVID-19? When they die, they die alone. They won't let their family there. We have family, church family members who have family members who are sick in in New York, we have a church family who lost an uncle in Alabama to this. They died alone, just with nurses with masks on. And they died. And, and so, have you prayed for those families? Do you know somebody who's struggling with this? Do you know somebody who lost their, their job? This is what we have. We have confidence to say, God, do, do, you, do you know what's going on? Do I, I want to plead to you on behalf of, of this dear sister in the Lord who lost her, her uncle. 
And you plead because you have confidence because Christ died for you. Did we waste our time on this confinement and not pray more? Oh, Lord, thank you for this food. Bless our day. You know, that's it. Or did we talk to him? You know, Paul challenges the, uh, the church in Colossae, chapter 4, verse 2. He says, be devoted to prayer. Be devoted to prayer. Just think about what God gave us. Before you were saved, your prayers didn't get past the ceiling. They were meaningless. They, 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 didn't, they didn't do anything, in a sense. Till God granted you faith, which led to repentance, and you prayed and received Christ. You don't talk to anybody. The people out there praying, and you hear it all the time on TV. Oh, we're going to pray. Do they really know Christ? And do they, do they really commune with God in heaven? You and I commune with the creator of the world, who said in, in Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the world. We talk to that guy. We talk to him, the great creator, the God, the sustainer of all things, all because of the gospel, all because of what Jesus has done. And yet, have we prayed much during the confinement? What's your prayer life been like? Do you have a list? My list has been growing. I have ones at home and I have ones in my office here uh, of people going through difficulties, whether it's job loss or family members who have been sick or um, medical people working in the medical field. Or I just have a huge list and, and I'm making phone calls, but praying for those people all the time. Do you have a list of unsaved family members that you're praying for? Maybe you spend extra time praying for someone lost during this confinement. Oh, don't waste our confinement and not pray and not talk to the Lord. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. You've heard me describe this before. What Paul simply means there is that you have such a connection with God, you're just a thought away from talking to him. Because it's not walking around with your eyes closed, stumbling over, you know, Park cars. It's not what he's talking about there. He, he's talking about you're just you're one thought away from talking to God. Is that is that what your life is like? Is that what your Christian life is like? Where you're just a thought. If something comes up, you'll turn to prayer. You'll talk to him. I, I hope that this confinement has caused all of us to be better prayer warriors, talking to our Father, praying for those who are in need on our behalf. Number four, don't waste a time to repent of nagging sins during confinement don't waste a time to repent now listen to this of nagging sins during confinement turn with me to chapter 4 of the book of James James chapter 4 this is probably probably the first letter written in the New Testament Galatians was probably written shortly behind this or right at close to the same time but this is early church stuff um He's already been challenging them to find joy in trials in chapter 1, right? To, to look intently into the mirror of the word of God. He's been working through things of the tongue and different problems, trusting God and, and making sure that you, you check with God when you, when you do something. You just I'm going to go here. I'm going I'm to do whatever I want. But yet you seek the will of God. But, but there's also problems in the early church, just like there is today. There's quarreling. There's battling. There's people making decisions not based on the word of God. And so there's problems, right? They're having problems. Verse 1, there's conflicts among them. There's quarreling. There's, there's, there's all these sources, your, your pleasures, they, they wage wars against the members, right? There's, there's wars going on. Your lust and murder and your heart probably is what he's speaking of here. They're fighting and quarreling and all these going. You, you don't have because you don't ask because you don't ask with the right motives. And he goes on about that. But then verse 4, he 
really, remember, he's speaking to the church here. You adulteress, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Maybe we start right there in, in a time of repentance. Lord, I am, I'm a little more friendly with the world than I thought. Mm. It comes up in the things that I've participated in during this confinement. Um, maybe where fears have taken me over. Um, it could come up in so many ways. I, I've, I'm realizing I'm a little more friendly with the world than I care to admit. Maybe that's what needs to be repented of here. And, and, and James is addressing this right off the bat. You cannot be friendships with the world. It's hostile towards God. I, I just told you what the governor of New York said. God didn't do this. Fate didn't do this. We did this. There's governors threatening churches that are trying to come together in some, even trying to do it in the right way. There are threats against them. And, and I know they're trying, they would say they're trying to do it for health reasons, but it won't take much. It won't take much for the world to turn on the church. And we have to remember that the world is hostile towards God. They don't give him credit. They don't give him credit for creation. What does the world believe in? Evolution. Uh, the world is full of communism and, and socialism. All of that is based on the denial that there is no God. Their governments are set up that. Their teaching is set up on that. And yet even our country it almost put forward a socialist. Um, and so we're realizing that, look, we're living in a world as Christians who who are, are right borderlining with people, a majority probably of people who are starting to deny that there's even an existence of God. I, it's, it's getting scary. A lot of people say, oh yeah, there's a God out there. But they deny him that he has no personal relationship. So, so we have, maybe we start there. Maybe this is exposed. Hey, I have a little more friendship in the world than I thought. He goes on. Therefore, whoever, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? You want to love the things of the world? Well, God's going to say, that's your God. I'm not. And that, that's an amazing statement, isn't it? And he is God over everybody, but um, basically he's trying to say, you're not part of me. It's a defining aspect of a Christian. There's, there is really a line in the sand, isn't there? I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. I do not belong to the world. We submit to local governments, to, to national governments. We're trying to do that as a church. I think we've done that well um, as long as they don't encroach on us biblically. Um, but we don't belong to them. We're strangers here. We're aliens. We're passing through. This is not our home. This is what the Bible teaches. Peter spent much time, James spends time reminding us this is not our home. And so we don't fall into friendships. And maybe there's a time of repentance. You say, Lord, you have exposed. I'm a little more friendly with the world than I think I probably should be. Maybe you can help your children with that. Maybe you can, dad, you can confess that. Um, moms, you can confess that. Say, I, I, I want to lead you away from loving the things of this world. Those are all going to pass away. They'll fall under judgment. Look at verse 5. Or do you think that the scriptures speak to no purpose? What a statement. You think the Bible doesn't talk about this stuff, James says? Oh, man, there's a Bible. He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. He does not want the spirit of the world in you. He jealously wants the, his spirit to have full run in your life. And that's what Paul talks about in Ephesians, that, that is be filled with the spirit of God. 
This is not a coming and going um, like our charismatic friends maybe get into. It means he, he has everything. Let him fill you from your fingertips to your head to your toes. Thus like blood flows through your body, just like wine would throw through your bloodstream, let the Spirit of God fill you. And so he challenges us in this verse. He jealously desires the Spirit to dwell in us, not the things of the world. See, James is after the early church. Can you imagine? This is not too far after the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this, this, this is the first century. This is the first church. And they're having to be warned not to be friends of the world. It's because we hear the world more than we hear God's word sometimes. And then verse 6, but he gives greater grace. The world doesn't give you grace. They're going to give you a stimulus check. You can go to hell with a stimulus check, but, but through God's grace, you go to heaven. I mean, think about it. He gives grace. He gives grace to those who don't deserve it. Therefore, he says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is quoted all through the Bible. Uh, the, the idea here that he stiff arms, of you football fans, he stiff arms the proud. Boy, the last thing I need is the almighty God stiff arming this poor soul. I need his grace in every aspect of my life. Marriage, family, pastorate, you know, friendships, neighbors. I mean, you name it, I need God's grace. And so we get that by living according to his word, not according to the world. And then finally, verse seven, submit therefore to God. Submit, line your affairs up is the idea of the word. Line your affairs up. It's a military term of ranking. You know, just like a, a private is gonna do what the captain says, Right? Line your affairs up under God. Submit to him. And then the devil will flee. You know why? Because he knows you're submitting to God, not to him. He'll never flee. And if he's bugging you, and if you're being feeling the effects of the world, it's because you're not submitting to God. So he has the inroad. And he will gladly take it. Last thought. Number five. Don't waste your opportunity to meet needs of others during confinement. Don't waste your opportunity to meet needs of others during confinement. Paul, on his way to Rome, stopped in a place called Miletus. The elders of Ephesus, who he had trained and raised and put into ministry, um, came down to Miletus where his ship stopped, and he met with them. Acts 20, probably one of the top passages uh, that I love to study and help me be a good pastor and a good shepherd. Um, strong, strong words given there. But towards the end, Paul says this to these elders, chapter 20, Acts 20, 34 through 35. He says this to these elders, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my needs and to the men who were with me. So right off the bat, Paul says, look, I made my own tents. I did what it took, but I also ministered to the people with me. So he, he knew he had to raise funds. He had to build things and sell things. Some churches supported him, but he used his hands and he provided a living for himself, but not just for himself. The verse says in verse 34, Acts chapter 20, that he did it for the men who were with him too. He provided for others. And then he makes this statement, and everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner with my own hands, sharing with others, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself it is said it is more blessed to give than receive. 
So what a statement. Paul says, God's given me a job to do. I've done it. I've shared and I've survived off of that work that he gave me and I shared it with others. And then he brings it to, to reality. Find the weak. Paul loves to do that. He talks about them in 1 Thessalonians 5, that we are to care for the weak and admonish the unruly and, and help those who are faint-hearted. Um, we have faint-hearted people during this time. Some people are relatively new in the faith and they're listening to the news and they're afraid and everybody's gonna die and all this, you know, we got a Cat 5 coming and it turns out to be a tropical storm. They, they don't know how to work that. They don't know how to understand that. And it becomes very difficult for them and they're faint-hearted. Bible says to give to them, help them through this. Don't be mad at them. Don't be mad at those who maybe, maybe are in our medical community and are stuck dealing with all the stuff that's coming their way. It's not their fault. We're to help people. We're to care for people. That's what we do. And, and this is an interesting quote because it's hard to find this passage anywhere uh, where Jesus said, but it was certainly passed down from the apostles. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's, isn't that, I think as we get older, uh, I've heard parents say this. I love watching my children open presents. Um, I love giving things to other people. I think that's a maturity in, in the faith as well, uh, that we love to give of those things. And, and you go, well, what else can I give? If I, maybe I don't have a lot of money. Can you give the gospel? Let's start there. Give a gospel conversation to somebody. Have a gospel conversation. Tell them why you're not afraid. Uh, it doesn't take you hard to walk through the store and find people panicking happens every day. Um, they're scared of people, and they're, boy, they're up in arms. It doesn't take you hard to find somebody who doesn't understand what's going on, and you can say, hey, can I share some of the peace that I have during this time with you? Give them a gospel conversation. Practice the one another's. Maybe a good Bible study. Look at it in context. Go through the one another's in the Bible. You're going to find tons of one another's throughout the Bible. Learn to put those on. Don't waste your confinement. You didn't serve anybody else. <laughs> You, you got in, you got your rolls of toilet paper stored up. <laughs> you know, you're, you're ready for the apocalypse, you know, and, and you're barricaded in. Uh, that's not the picture that Christ has for Christians. Maybe give somebody that toilet paper. We had a sweet neighbor, some Christians down the street, thought we needed toilet paper, walked down and gave us some, some rolls of toilet paper. Very kind of them. And uh, we gave it to the next person. Uh, just things like that, learning to think of somebody else. How about phone calls? Now, you work on your phone. I think it still works. I think the airwaves, the virus didn't get to the airwaves yet. Call somebody. You have a list of people that you want to call. How you can, it's a great opportunity during this confinement to, to meet the needs. A phone call to somebody is so sweet. Um, I've enjoyed doing that. Every day I make a series of phone calls. And it's so fun to talk to people and so encouraging. Pray with them on the phone. Encourage them through their unique situation that they're going through. Phone calls, letters. You know, some people are writing letters for the first time. It's interesting. Uh, some of our ministry leaders here wrote letters to people that they care for, and they got a real letter in the mail. And, and if you're younger, you're like, oh, what is this? You know, I don't know what this is. You know? So they had to you know, Google it to find out what this is. Do I open it? You know? uh, you know, write a letter. Write a letter to somebody. Tell them how much you love them. There are some ladies in this church that write me once a month. Send me a letter with a stamp on it to my house and tell me that they're praying for me. I, I, I'm overwhelmed every time. I keep every one of those. I have files and files full of years of letters. And I'm so grateful for that. It ministers to, it's them thinking about me. How about a care package for somebody? Somebody maybe who's confined away, putting a care package for them. Um, people like 
you know, Josh and Victoria, they can't let anything get near little Grayson right now. And people are dropping off packages for them. And I mean, there's people like that that just can't. We have people going through chemo who've had surgery. They've got to be protected. This virus would be very detrimental to their health. Do you know who those people are? Do you know somebody who's just gone through some kind of radiation? What can you do for them? How can you help them? Uh, that could be somebody in the church or particularly somebody outside the church. How about paying somebody else's bills? Maybe some have not lost income at this point. Um, we just heard of some people who gathered together to help with one of our widows to meet her needs, and they pulled some money to meet her needs. Man, does that do our pastor's hearts well to hear that kind of stuff is going on. Praise the Lord for those things. Give gift cards. A call and, or Zoom a prayer meeting together. Get some people together and get on FaceTime or Zoom or whatever you do out there. Get on there and pray together. Um, I know some of you ladies have prayer meetings. Are you Zooming those prayer meetings? Are you getting together and praying? Boy, we would love to know about that and encourage those things. Meeting needs. Maybe help a seminarian with their needs. You know, seminarians, they're still running right now. They're all on Zoom. I'm getting ready to start soteriology. You're welcome to audit that class. We'd love to have you. It's going to be on Zoom. But they're still doing, dealing with all of this. My kids are at home, and they're trying to do class and write deep papers and think deeply and um, maybe meet a need somewhere there. I had several men call me and ask if there was any household problems that were going on with maybe widows or people who had broken something in their house that needed to be fixed. Ah, that's, that's what we're talking about. Use this opportunity, this quarantine opportunity to serve the Lord. So don't waste your confinement. Know your Bible. Be discipled. Strengthen your personal prayer life so when we come together, we'll pray more corporately. Repent of nagging sins that are out there. Say, God, I don't want this sin. I, I've, I've dealt with this for years. I want to repent of it. I, I want to use this time of confinement to turn from that. Oh, we probably all have something in there. And then meet each other's needs. Let's pray, and then we'll be done. Father, thank you for this time together. We thank you for this Bible hall and what it reminds us, Lord, that everything we do, Every situation, whether it's counseling, preaching, uh, family situations, whatever it is, comes from your word. And we hold it in high regard. We have a high view of God's word. We don't worship the men and the translations in any way, Lord, but we thank you for it. So this hallway reminds us that you've given us your word. You've also given us the ability to know you, to be discipled. I pray people will call the office, Lord, and, and get a partner's book and and get a hold of us and find someone they can do partners with or find someone in their family, Lord. This is a great time to be discipled, to grow more, Lord. And may our prayer life strengthen, Lord, through this. May we talk with you more. The God of heaven, the creator of all things, the sustainer of life, the one who planned and sent Jesus Christ, preordained as we saw on Sunday. We can talk to you, God. What an amazing gift you've given us. And then, Lord, as we speak with you, study, be discipled, we'll find things that we need to repent of. Nagging, sinful little issues, or maybe big issues, that we've not been able to overcome, Lord. May we repent of those things and give them to you, Lord. And then this time, exercise discipline through, through grace and mercy and the word of God and prayer, and find victory by your grace over those things. And then, Lord, help us not be... Uh, spiritual hoarders or even physical hoarders, Lord, but may we seek to, to care for one another. Lord, there, you have blessed this church. I personally have never seen a church so giving as this one. But Lord, we, we can still excel more. 
We can still excel. We can continue to give and care for people in need, searching out people maybe that attend our church or don't even attend our church. And that we would be those that realize the great words of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than receive, Lord. Thank you for our time. Thank you for Hayward and, and Andrew leading us in worship and now a time in the word together, Lord. Bring us back together soon. We can't wait till we can meet in this building together. But until that time, Lord, may we not waste our confinement. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.